0: Well, hello, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church podcast. I'm Chris Taylor, and I'm so happy that you're listening in today. In fact, if you're listening for the first time or you'd just like to reach out, send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. We're in week two of our love handle series today. And if you missed our first week, you might be wondering why we're doing a series about your love handles. But we're not talking about those kinds of love handles. We're talking about how love handles the different aspects of our wedding vows. Last week, we talked about what it means to have and to hold your spouse. Today, we're looking at what perseverance is in the context of a God-honoring marriage. The happily ever after on the other side of the better and worse, richer and poorer, sickness and health. Here is our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. God's here. Did you know that? And a lot of times what we try to do in church is to get quiet enough put away the distractions, so that if he chooses to nudge, sometimes to convict, sometimes to encourage, we'll hear it. We're going to talk about truth and grace, God's truth and God's grace. He's here, and it may be that he's going to nudge you with some of this truth. It may be that he's going to nudge you with some of his grace. We need both, and I hope that we're going to touch on both this morning. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you'll be with us. We're going to talk about important things. Give us wisdom. Give us grace. Give us a receptivity to your presence. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to start off this morning by showing you some verses I don't like too much. Okay? Because they pretty much guarantee that when you do life with God, God's way, it's going to be hard. Now, I do believe, genuinely of all my heart, that being a Jesus follower is the very best way to live. It's going to make you better at life, and it's going to make your life way better. And the truth is, if there is a God, and if Jesus is the Son of God, and I think he is, then following Jesus is right. It's just right. But... These verses pretty much prove that it's not always going to be easy. I call them wuss warnings. Okay, that's my title. Don't you like that title? It's cool. I love that word wuss. I use it a lot, right up there with poppycock and steroids, right? According to a dictionary, a wuss is someone who fails to do something as a result of fear or a lack of confidence. A wuss, there's some synonyms, things like coward, wimp, whiner, quitter, deserter, weakling, And these verses kind of tell us that Jesus' following is not for spiritual wusses, because it's going to get hard. Listen to a few of these. This one's from James. James was the brother of Jesus. First, he says this Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials and uh, face trials of many kinds. Oh, joy. Didn't that sound cool? Right? And and the fact is he doesn't use the word if. He doesn't say consider it joy if you happen to face a trial. He says consider it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. It's okay, he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Great word, hard word. Let perseverance finish its work that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. That is a wuss warning. A couple of verses later, James puts it like this. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres. There's that word again. Who perseveres, endures under trials. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. Bottom line, I would rather not persevere under trial because it sounds hard. I mean, I'd rather do that than fail a trial, but it means it's hard. It's coming. It's a wuss warning. James says, don't back up, back off, back down, back out, backslide. You stick in there. How about this one? This one's from the Apostle Paul. Paul says, don't get tired of doing what's good, which means that you're going to want to get tired of doing what's good. He says, because at just the right time you're going to reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up if you don't quit that's a wuss warning you're going to get tired of doing the right thing you're going to you're going to get you're going to want to quit he says don't do it don't quit you keep on one more. There are actually a boatload of these things, but the Apostle Paul says, it kind of sounds like James and his voice the brother of Jesus. They've read the same books. He says, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. We can have joy in those times because we know that they help us develop endurance, which is another word for perseverance. And endurance develops strength of character, and our character strengthens our hope of salvation. Huh. So this perseverance is linked to salvation somehow, which means that with respect to these wuss warnings, the stakes are high. Well, what if? I'm going to try something here. See if you can go along. What if these wuss warnings don't just apply to how we behave out there in trials, spiritually? What if they apply to how we behave in here with each other when the people around you here are ornery? What if they apply to our homes with your husband or your wife? I'm going to read these verses one more time, see how they might apply. You ready? Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds at home, because they're coming, because you know that the testing of your faith there produces perseverance. Perseverance. But if perseverance finishes its work, you too are going to be mature and complete and you're not going to be lacking in anything. If it works that way, that means there's going to be a blessing on the other side of your trials if you persevere God's way. Try this one out. Blessed are husbands and wives who persevere under trial because having stood the test of life, these people will receive the crown of life. Because I'm telling you guys, if there's no blessing in this life, there will be one in the next. And it's going to be amazing. And we Jesus followers don't just live for this life. We live for the next, right? Or this one. See if this works. Don't get tired of doing good, what is good with your wife, guys. Ladies, don't get tired of doing what is good for your husband. Don't quit. Because at just the right time, you're going to reap a harvest if you don't quit. If you don't quit, is that a strategy or is it a guarantee? Here's the last warning I looked at. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials in our marriages. Isn't that cool? Because they're coming. Because we know that problems and trials will help us develop perseverance. And we know that perseverance develops a strength of character. And we know that character not only strengthens our marriages, it also strengthens our hope of salvation. Does that work? A couple minutes ago, I suggested that Jesus following is not for the spiritual wusses. I'm going to suggest also this morning that marriage is not for relational wusses. At least if you're going to build a healthy, God-honoring marriage. So here's the myth. Here's the fairy tale, the hallmark version of reality. They lived, you know the rest of it? They lived happily ever after, right? Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Rapunzel, Shrek, Princess Bride, a thousand others in our fairy tales of every sort. You find that perfect one, you overcome some daunting obstacle, and the two of you will live happily ever after, right? Right? Really? Well, whoever composed the wedding vows, we've been talking about the wedding vows, whoever composed those wedding vows centuries and centuries and centuries ago wasn't taken in by that myth. Best I can tell, our traditional vows go back at least a thousand years. A thousand years, maybe further. Here's the earliest English version I could find from the Sarum Manual. I, Steve, Take thee, Julie, to be my wedded wife. A thousand years ago. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse. For richer-er-er. For poorer In sickness and in hell. That's not hell, that's health. Okay? That's kind of funny if you read it as hell. Till death us depart, and thereto I pledge thee my troth." Husbands and wives have been making that promise to each other for millennia. That's not a fairy tale. That's real life. If you persevere long enough, chances are you will experience every one of those, right? You'll experience the better and the worse, the richer and the poor, the sickness and the health, and there will be a happily ever after, but you get to it by persevering through these things, not by trying to find a way around them, and it's been this way since the beginning. Now, before I go any further this morning, I want to say just a couple of things as caveats, first this morning I'm going to focus on the dark side of marriage next week I'm going to get a whole lot more positive come back next week and you can smile again but this morning I'm going to focus on hard times painful times the valleys and the deserts of marriage and your marriage will have them if it lasts if there was no dark time in a marriage you wouldn't need to persevere second some of the things I'm going to talk about this morning will be painful to some of you guys because some of you guys have experienced unfaithfulness some of you have been there some of you experience broken marriages some of you guys are in a God dishonoring marriage right now and I don't want anyone in this room to wallow in guilt because of what we're talking about if you've been unfaithful in the past if you're struggling in the present it's not going to do you any good it's not going to do God any good for you to fixate on things that you can't undo now that's what grace is for That's what forgiveness is for, and God is amazing with those things. What I want to focus on is the way forward, not our past. Now, in some ways, this till death to us part is getting a little bit harder. Do you know that? Do you know why? A couple of reasons. Number one, because we're not as good at dying as we used to be, right? We live longer. You know, this better for worse, rich or poor, till death to us part... When they first made those vows to each other a thousand years ago, they probably didn't expect to have to keep that promise for more than 10 or 20 years. Then one of you is likely going to be dead, right? Deaths and childbirth, disease that they couldn't fix, accidents, war. People didn't live as long. Julie and I are going to reach 45 years next month, right? I was expecting some pity. That was few... Ah, that was good that was good I like that a hundred years ago both of us would be dead we wouldn't be reaching this milestone right because both of us are alive because medicine has gotten pretty good compared to what it used to be how many of you guys would be dead right now if it weren't for advances in medicine a lot of you guys right this till death to us part part has just taken longer it's harder but there's another reason it's a way more sinister reason that it's harder and that's because a lot of folks just don't try anymore it is not a cultural value to persevere a lot of folks in our world don't see sticking it out in a tough marriage as even a worthy goal I was reading an article that was calling basically us a nation of quitters we quit on all kinds of things Some people hop from job to job to job because they have no perseverance when things get tough. Some bosses quit on their employees when the profits dip just a little bit. A lot of people hop from church to church to church on just the slightest provocation. Some people quit on faith altogether because God doesn't do what they want him to do for them and they get annoyed at him. But maybe the place where our propensity for quitting is just clearest is in our marriages. I mean, I showed you this chart if you're here last week. I mean, about 40% of our first marriages fail. 60% of our second marriages, almost three-quarters of our third marriages. And those numbers don't count the deadbeat husbands and wives who walk out on a spouse without going through a divorce. They don't count the number of people who cohabit in a marriage without getting married at all, at least at that point. And by the way, this is just kind of a sidebar. Did you know that those who live together before marriage to test to see if they're compatible, that's what they'll tell you, right? They're increasing their odds of divorce by 50%. That's reality, not the myth that people are swallowing. And neither do these numbers count the number of people who stay married on paper, but who actually quit persevering inside the marriage. And you see that a lot. We're a nation of quitters, and it's killing us relationally, it's killing us financially, it's killing us spiritually. And you know what bothers me more than those numbers? If you were looking at a chart for Christians, it wouldn't change. If you're a Jesus follower, your odds of divorce are no different than those who do not call Jesus their Lord. In fact, if you're a conservative Christian, some people would argue that your odds of divorcing and separating and whatever are higher. And that shouldn't be because God calls us to a higher standard. He calls us to a higher standard in how we love each other and how we treat each other, how we persevere for better, for worse, richer, for poor, in sickness and in health till death do us part. And we do those things because we do believe that there is a happily ever after on the other side. Now if you read both covenants, both the old covenant, the new covenant, Old Testament, New Testament. In both covenants it kind of talks about God as a husband to God's people who are sometimes pictured as his wife, a not so perfect wife. If you want to... Picture your relationship with God as a marriage. If some of you can do that, others that would be hard. But he'd be the perfect husband and you would be the not-so-perfect spouse. Especially in the Old Testament. It was an extremely rocky marriage. It's talked about in those terms several times. There were times when the relationship was sweet. When Israel was madly in love with its God. But there were also times of anger and frustration. Actually, times when God would allow other nations to punish his bride... There were times of infidelity when Israel turned her back on God and made love to others. And there were times of excruciating silence, which sounds like a lot of marriages, at least those that persevere. There are times of joy and celebration. Those are cool. Those are the ones we want to dominate. There are times of frustration and anger. There are times of infidelity, at least in the heart. I've never cheated on my wife physically, but Jesus said that if a man looks at another woman with lust in his eyes, there's infidelity in his heart. By that standard, most of us guys don't fare so well, and maybe most of you ladies, I don't know for sure on that one. And in most marriages, there are these painful times of silence. Sometimes the times of silence are harder than the better and worse and the richer and the poor and the sickness and in health. Sometimes marriages are neither good nor bad. They just exist. And people get tired of the routine. And their souls start growing numb to each other. Well, did you know that there's nothing, no kind of pain that you have ever felt in your marriage that God has not felt with you? There's nothing that you are experiencing that he doesn't understand. Do you know what held the relationship between God and his people together? His perseverance. His faithfulness. When Israel turned its back on God, God did not turn his back on Israel. He stepped back from time to time. He created some space, but he never, ever, ever quits on us. He never quits on you. Do you know what has held your relationship with God together? It hasn't been your perseverance. It hasn't been your faithfulness. It has been his. Whenever you have turned your back on God, and that has happened many times, he has never, ever turned his back on you. Do you believe that? He doesn't quit on us. And he wants us to try to learn to persevere more like he treats us. Perseverance, a godlike perseverance, a sticking there during the good times and the bad times and all the rest of the times that are neither so good or not so bad. There's a guy I was reading about who did it right. It's a story, a true story. Her name was Marty. She had brought an enormous burden into her marriage because it wasn't her first sexual relationship, and so she knew the pain that comes from separation and brokenness. And she struggled because of that with feelings of insecurity. She couldn't get over the perception in her that conflict leads to breakup, breakup leads to pain. And after several years of marriage, they began fighting, fighting over money. Did you know that more marriages break over, break up over money than just about any other cause except sex? There were weeks of vigorous discussion, sometimes yelling, and it drained their home of joy. And since she'd already been through those failed relationships and all of her insecurities, she couldn't imagine that her marriage was going to survive. Struggles like these in her mind led to breakup. So she began mourning the relationship that had not yet quite died. Till one night in the middle of an argument, her husband did something so profound, so powerful, she says, that she'll never, ever forget it. He just comes up to her and he wraps his arms around her and he says this, Marty you need to know that no matter what we decide or don't decide I am never going to quit on this marriage even if we have to live with this tension for the rest of our lives I will never leave you she said she burst into tears even with her issues she didn't want the marriage to end and now he was promising that it would not and the problems seemed less immense they found great meaning in the simple fact that their marriage was going to survive. That's perseverance. That's a God-like perseverance. That's a God-honoring perseverance. I want to take the time I've got left and just drill down onto two verses. Two verses that I think can transform marriage if we try to lay them as a grid over our marriages. They were written by the Apostle Paul in what is considered by most people his finest letter, the book of Romans. And most people don't read these two as marriage verses, but I think we should. Here they are. God is going to give eternal life to those who keep on doing good. Don't quit doing good. Seeking after the glory and the honor and the immortality that God offers. But God's going to pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth, and instead live lives of wickedness. Three pieces. Piece number one. Persistent good matters. Being persistent in your good matters. I was going to say, originally, only persistent good matters, but as I began thinking about it, I wasn't sure that was true, but this one is. Paul says it like this. He says, God is going to give eternal life to those who persist, who persist, who don't quit doing what is good, Did you know that true righteousness, true goodness, true holiness is measured over time by perseverance? Because it's easy for any of us to flirt with goodness. I can be courteous to other drivers occasionally when I'm in a good mood and not in a hurry. It's easy to help somebody by opening a door for them if you got the time. And they're gracious about it. It's easy to throw a couple of extra bucks into the offering plate as long as I'm not going to miss it and I don't need it for lunch. It's easy to be occasionally good, occasionally good to a husband or a wife. It's easy to hold your tongue occasionally, often enough that you can say you tried. Real goodness is not measured by the occasional. Times when it's easy, convenient. Times when it's a strategy. Real good is who you are. It's persistent. It's a commitment to doing the right thing even when we feel like we're pulled in the opposite direction. It is a persistent surrender to doing things God's way. you buy that? He does. Here's piece two. Eternity matters. It really matters, guys. It does. God will give eternal life to those who persist in doing what is good, who seek after the glory, the honor, and the immortality that God offers. Did you know that perseverance doesn't always make sense if you're just living for the present instead of for eternity? I think sometimes perseverance is painful. Sometimes doing things God's way is going to make you less happy in the short run. But in the long run, doing things his way is always, always, always going to bring about his pleasure, right? It's going to bring about his glory, his honor, his immortality. Any sacrifice that you make for God is going to be infinitely small compared to what he has in store for you someday. So, preparing for eternity by sticking with a difficult spouse makes a whole lot more sense, logically and destroying a marriage that can be saved and risking God's displeasure. Most divorces are initiated by someone who is running from at most a few difficult decades and risks the glory and the honor that lasts in eternity. That is a bad trait. You see, this is hard. Some of you guys need to hear this though. This is hard. The Bible does not promise a crown of heaven to those who have led the happiest lives here on earth. Have the right to be happy, right? Even if it makes you miserable. Poppycock. God doesn't award ribbons to the Christians who've been able to avoid the most pain. True goodness is proven when it's hard. We persevere because we don't live for this world only. We live for something that is infinitely more precious. Piece three. (laughs) Eternity matters for those who disobey too. God's going to make things right. Paul says God's going to give eternal life to those who persist in doing what's good, who seek after the glory, the honor, and the immortality that God offers, but he's going to pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who live for themselves, who thereby refuse to obey the truth and practice evil deeds. Eternity matters. Gary Thomas is one of my heroes he wrote one of the best books on marriage that I've ever read sacred marriage it's quite a few years old but it's amazing in that book he tells the story of a woman that he encountered one time he had flown into town to speak at a church or a conference or something I don't remember what it was he was picked up at the airport by this woman and one of her children he was in his speaking clothes so when they got to her van he was horrified because it was so filthy He was horrified that if he sat down, his slacks and his coat would be stained. And so he says these terrible thoughts began rolling around in his mind. How could this woman, how could this woman let her van get like this when she knew she'd be picking me up? How could she disrespect me so? Within hours, he said, he found out that she was divorced. She was a single mom. That wasn't the big piece of it, found out that she was in the middle of chemotherapy and she would get so sick each week that she would work one day a week as a waitress and try to earn enough money that she could spend the rest of her week recovering, trying to take enough spend enough money or earn enough money that day to support herself and her three kids during that time. And he discovered yet this woman, who sacrificed her time, her energy, and her money to be a taxi for him around town. (laughs) She's a hero. And the embarrassment that he might have felt from having his clothes smudged, paled compared to the challenges that this woman was facing and the service that she was offering to him. Then, Thomas says, I started thinking about her husband. Where was he? How could a man? How could any man let a wife and children go through something like this alone? What kind of man would do that? What kind of man who'd promised before God that to be there for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health? What kind of a man would let the one that he chose and the ones that he fathered go through something like this alone? Of course, when he divorced her, he didn't know. He had no clue. He couldn't have known that she'd get cancer. That's the point. That's the point. We don't know. None of us can see into the future. This woman had set aside her career, had raised his children. She'd made herself vulnerable to him. He didn't know what would happen to her when he left her and them. That wasn't the deal. He thought of his own right to be happy. His own pleasure. The Bible says God is going to pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves. Who live for themselves. Does that qualify? And who thereby refuse to obey the truth and practice evil deeds. The guy in the story qualify? I don't know what motivated him to leave his wife and his kids, but is there any chance that he was living for himself? And because of that, refusing to obey the truth and practicing evil deeds. Guys, I'm telling you, on this one, the Bible, both Old Covenant and New Covenant, they're crystal clear. Malachi 2.16, one of the Old Testament prophets, put it like this. God says, I hate divorce. hate it. Jesus, the Son of God, when he was here on earth, says, Moses permitted divorce, but as a concession to your hard hearts. But it is not what God had originally in mind. It was not his plan. Now please listen very carefully. I know God permits divorce in some circumstances. There's scriptural warrant. There are times when it is the least bad option. It doesn't change the fact that God hates it. He hates it because it means that at least one of his kids has refused to love another one of his kids his way. Maybe both. And our father only permits divorce in places where sin has so mangled the relationship that his children cannot or will not put it back together again in an honorable way. Occasionally, divorce might be the right choice for a Jesus follower. As a pastor, there have been times when I have counseled separation, and there are times when I have counseled divorce. But only after fighting a war do you see if there's any way to put it back together again God's way. The Bible says God is going to pour out his anger and his wrath on those who refuse to obey the truth, and the truth is God hates divorce. It's amazing to me how many Christians will leave their spouse and their kids for a new relationship while maintaining the illusion that Jesus is, at that point, the Lord of their life. And you can see where it's coming from. The truth is, our culture sees divorce as courageous, romantic, good for the kids. Little thing. Our culture sees divorce as an easy way out. God doesn't. I said at the beginning of the sermon that some of the stuff I'd be talking about this morning could be painful for some of you guys because some of you guys have experienced unfaithfulness. Some of you guys have experienced broken marriages. Some of you guys are in the middle of a real tough marriage right now. And I don't want anybody in the room, anybody, to try to shame their partner into persevering while treating them in a God-dishonoring way. Shame on you. If someone is abusing you, you need safety. You need distance. And I don't want anyone in the room wallowing in guilt because of the stuff that we've talked about this morning. I mean, God's ideals are high. His ideals are really high. He sets the bar high, but his grace is equally high. If you have been unfaithful in the past, if you've been divorced, if you're struggling right now, it doesn't do you any good, it doesn't do God any good for you to fixate on things that you cannot undo right now. That's what his grace is for. That's what God's forgiveness is for, and they are amazing. This is the time to start a new path, a God-honoring path. I know that some of you guys have fought to stay married and you were unsuccessful, This is not meant to brand you as a failure. Thank you for trying, even if you didn't succeed. Here's the deal. God sets the bar high. His ideals are high. We're not gonna lower it. But when we fail to clear it, we want you to taste his grace. We want you to feel loved by him. Just don't settle. Don't settle for less than God's dream for you and for your marriage. God is great with do-overs. It doesn't matter where you've been. It matters where you are with him right now. And it matters where you're going. And it matters how you finish. How you finish. With his strength. Learning to love each other his way. This table that we're going to come to in just a couple of minutes is a powerful powerful picture of the love of God and his perseverance with us and this table is a place where we commit to being Jesus followers to trying to love him and to trying to love each other with the same kind of love that we've experienced from him in a couple of minutes when we come to these tables use it as a time to reflect he's in the room let him nudge you let him encourage you let him challenge you whatever he needs to do and use it as a time to reconnect with your God During these times, both in this next song that we're going to sing and during this time, if you are a victim of abuse and you need to talk, we want to help. If you want to work on a marriage, you want to pray for you, you can come down and talk to us now or you can contact us when it's safer, when no one can see. If you just want to come and contact us to complain about your spouse, how bad they're doing, then we're probably not going to be the best one you'd talk to, but... If you want to talk about a way to salvage a marriage that can be God-honoring, we'd love to talk to you. We want you to, want you to respond to God's truth and to experience His grace.